Welcome to Midnight Menu Plus One. I'm Ray Kanata. And I'm Margot Moss. Midnight Menu Plus One is a food lifestyle show on the podcast network, itsneworleans.com. Tonight, we're at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room in the Irish Channel. The Tap Room is NOLA Brewing's on-site watering hole. They serve NOLA's regular lineup of craft beers as well as eight specialty brews you can't get anywhere else. And the Tap Room is open seven days a week, weekdays from 2 to 11 p.m. and weekends from 11 in the morning till 11.30 p.m. Friends, so glad you could join us. Each week on Midnight Menu Plus One, Margo and I invite a member of New Orleans restaurant and food community to have a beer with us. And we invite them to bring along their own guest, the plus one. We never know who the plus one's going to be. Sometimes a friend, a neighbor, a family member, or a fellow restaurant colleague. Our special guest on Midnight Menu Plus One tonight is Kirk Coco. Kirk is the owner of New Orleans Lager and Ale Brewing Company, otherwise known as NOLA Brewing, and which brings craft brewed beers right into the heart of New Orleans and Southwest... Shit. Let me I don't do that think you're over. supposed to say shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I say that? All right, let me do it again. No, though, I think you should I, just keep going. This is great. All right, great. you like, like to be yeah, introduced like that? I'm enjoying all right. this, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we're very excited to have Kirk Coco with us tonight. So, Well, we're looking forward to, to uh, speaking with Kirk in just a moment. Before we do that, though, I just wanted to catch up on our week's culinary adventures. I know, Margo, you were at Jazz Fest, and, which is uh, most notable for the food as, as uh, well as the music. What did you eat? Uh, well, I tried something new. I had the Japanese uh, beef po' boy. It wow, was like, who's, who did that? I don't know. It was like a Cajun. It, I think it was uh, the, the Japanese restaurant. Uh, oh, a, in, uh, AJ's you talking about? No, no not a magazine. No, not Kyoto, but the, the other one, the one there. They're there every year. Okay. It's the Japanese uh, restaurant. I'm oh, giving well, them we, a terrible we a plug. Chance to give them a I wasn't plug, expecting I you to ask. All right. Me well, we'll fix that on the on the website. But it but was pickled it, vegetables on really a banh mi bread. Oh, that sounds and amazing. A, and like a marinated meat. Yes, it was right. delicious. Cool. Did you? Uh, I did anything? not go to Jazz Fest. I was uh, I was too busy working on a message on resting to be able to uh, do anything else this week. So I so inst- I had to miss all, and I had a, I had a free pass to Chaz Fest, which I like even better than Jazz Fest. Washboard Chaz. Yeah, I had, to, I had to, you know it's that sort of you know the locals got squeezed out a little bit more and more. They started their own thing, you know Thursday's local night or whatever. But they also have so anyway. So Chaz Fest out in the Ninth Ward on St. Claude, and uh, I love it. And um, but anyway, I couldn't go, even though I had a VIP pass for free because uh, I was too busy working on a message on rest. That's kind of ironic, huh? So, um, but you know, I did get a few good meals in. I uh, I think the most notable this week is I went to McClure's Barbecue. Very very good. A magazine took my son there. Had a free night with my son. Rare opportunity, and that's where uh, we chose. But um, anyway, hey, let's uh, let's um, let's introduce our special guest. Really excited to have Kirk here. Thanks for joining us. He's also our host of our show. This is his place that we uh, record out of each week. I am so glad to be here. Actually, I'm always here every time you're shooting the show. I'm just so glad to actually be on the show and talking while you're doing the show. That way I don't have to be quiet in the back. Uh, oh, by the way, that that uh, that sandwich I think is by Bam Yin. Vietnamese cuisine. Oh, uh, thank you. Okay, look at this. He's already he's already. Fixed you found it at. Uh... Yeah, I was looking through the jazz fest food. Nice. So so bomb mean. All right, M-I-E-N. good. All right, thank Fun. you. 
give them a because I can be a host and do research. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to know uh, what has been happening new in your life because everybody knows about the Nola Brewing Tap Room and Nola Beer and. But we want to hear some exciting, yeah, exciting new things. New so many things. All kinds of stuff going on. Um, first off, uh, I'm drinking right now a brand new beer that we just released. Our first beer in bottles. Uh, it's in giant wine bottles. So Whoa. it is here. I even have one right here. Your, your iPad was resting on it. Um, <laughs> Nola Lower Line. It is the first of a series we have called Nola Funk Series. Huh. Sour beers, so they're very unique flavors. And this is the first one called Lower Line. They're all going to be named after streets. Um, ah. The one I'm drinking right now is a peach flavored sour beer called Arabella. Ah. And then we have a cherry flavored one called Piety. And then another <laughs> one called Savage. Now, is this available in the tap room yet? Um, all of these have been available in the tap room. I just poured an Arabella from the tap room just a few minutes ago. All right. Um, lower line is the first one to come out in bottles, and the rest of the the three other sour beers will be out over the next few months. And what is? Uh, can you explain what sour beer is and why sure. it's in so this beautiful bottle? There are all types of different beers. Wonderfully, a uh, huge variety are available out there. Um, sour beers are beers that are infected, uh, which sounds kind of gross <laughs> when you first hear it. Uh, but they're infected, and, and these infections that are intentionally put in the beer uh, with age make the beer sour and have these great, wonderful, sour, fruity notes. Um, if you drink it right after it's infected, it smells and tastes kind of like dirty laundry. But if you let it age for like a six months to a year to sometimes a year and a half, they get these great sour notes and really great fruity notes that uh, are super enjoyable. And uh, it's kind of the new wave in craft beer over the last few years. And uh, we're really excited about having a whole area of the brewery dedicated to making these sour beers and barrel-aged beers. Yeah. Well, now, now, if you have to, uh, if you have to wait six months to a year in this process, then you not you don't know what it's going to taste like till then, right? Well, then, you, you have you know, an idea because you know the ingredients you're using and you okay. know how you're infecting it. Each batch will be a little different. And sometimes, depending on the weather and the humidity and uh, some other factors, um, it could take eight months to age it. It could take 14 months to age it to get it to the flavor that you want. So how do you find out? You sample it at eight months, so, you sample again at eight and a half months, and you just keep exactly. going? Is that it? Okay. We call it pulling nails because, remember, uh -huh. these are being aged in old barrels, right? Like... Uh, Either rum barrels or For wine real? barrels. Yeah, oak wow. barrels. And uh, so you tap a nail into the barrel. Come on. And then you pull the nail out, and the liquid starts shooting out, and you take a sample that way, and then you put the nail back in. Now, is that straight on the beer at that point, what's coming out? Or is that uh, like a, it is beer is that that a part it, of the beer? It is beer, but then it's additionally being either fermented or infected in those barrels. Now, is sour beer something that was... Uh, appreciated at another time or sure. was um, it the Belgians have always had a pretty big sour beer market northern France has had a lot of sour beers um, if anybody's ever had Framboise yeah. mm. uh, that's a sour beer so that's a, oh. a, a type of of this beer and uh, there are lots of different styles and flavors that you can create from it um, 
the, my favorite entry one is a beer called Duchess de Bournier, which you can get in Louisiana. I know Avenue Pub sells it. A few other small places you could probably get at Stein's Deli. But Duchess de Bournier, a great introductory beer to learn about sours. And then the more you drink, the more sour you want it to get. It's just like hoppy beers. You might just like right. a Sierra Nevada Pale Ale to start with, but then all of a sudden <laughs> you're looking for Imperial IPAs and hop monsters and hop slams and all this <laughs> stuff. So it, it, it grows. Your palate grows. And I wanted to ask you, too, uh, the label is really cool. It's like this uh, creature woman with an alligator. Who, do you... Um, orchestrate the images or is that an artist do so people submit this is a local artist named monica kelly and uh she's done amazing work um i know she's done a little work for oz she made some things for them and she's done uh the whole label for this series is done by her so each one has a different little character on the front the lower line has what we're calling alligator lady <laughs> but uh each one has a different specific character to kind of reflect the flavor and the style of the beer so and and the street Fun. name you know so now how you pick the street names just what uh what of? fits in with with the beer that we're making what we think kind of rides along with it so lower line was our base funk kind of like the easiest basic sour beer so we called it lower line because that was the base oh got it got it uh, okay. arabella was peach and that arabella just kind of sounded peachy and uh, almost uh, the picture on the front is almost like a southern bell on, on the front of it, huh. and then piety, cherry piety, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Savage is like a really wild, funky beer, so we called it Savage because like savage, wild. Oh, you know? okay. So, and Fun. we'll have more. So. Now, do you enjoy the marketing of products as much as creating, and is that? Um, I, I, I probably like that part the best, actually. The the marketing aspect and then uh, the socializing aspect, which, of course, I'm from New Orleans. That would be <laughs> the part that I like. So You, you know, create this whole I, job just I'm, so you can like, be the, the most popular guy at every party. I'm forced to talk and drink beer. So <laughs> imagine the torture that is my life. Um, so I do a lot of talking, a lot of drinking beer, which I did before anyhow. So I just found a job that my skill sets played well with. <laughs> Um, now you're also you know you've also moved on to a new corner too with uh, with uh, liquor right yes yes that's uh, a whole new chapter brand no liquor new project before. started a month and a half ago uh, also called Nola Nola Distilling Company and the Nola stands for something different on this one because it couldn't stand for lager and ales right so this is New Orleans libations and alcohol distilling <laughs> wow. company. And, uh, and we're going to be distilling. We'll start with vodka, gin, and a white whiskey. But the goal is to eventually get into dark-aged whiskeys, ryes, bourbons, etc. So I'm wow. very excited because when I'm not drinking beer, that's what I'm drinking. And so being able to make my own <laughs> makes it uh, you know, more fun and cheaper. Now, do you have like <laughs> one guy designing all those different liquors? Or do you have a different... I mean, it seems like it would be a different skill set for like... I have a great head distiller, and then uh, we, we have a, a really good COO who's going to be there. So my distiller is a guy named, uh, great name, David Otto Bach. <laughs> so we call him the Otto Bach, <laughs> and he's great, and he's, uh, he's developing all the, the recipes right now. So actually today he was working furiously on making a vodka out of sweet potatoes. 
Sweet potatoes. Yeah, kind of cool, great. huh? Yeah. Um, so, but we're trying some other stuff. There's also some su- sweet radishes that grow locally Come on. that we were thinking about making the vodka out of. So we're, we're figuring out exactly which ones are going to make the purest, <laughs> cleanest flavors uh, when we distill it. And so he's working on that right now. But so where are those grown? Um, those are all grown locally. So you can get sweet radishes and sweet potatoes, obviously, uh, all throughout Louisiana. So does it look like a, a, a science lab? From, I'm sorry. I'm a, the, the small batches we're working on, we bought from the farmer's market here. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah, um, yeah that's great ahead. to support the local. And, and but like, can you get junipers and stuff like that? I mean, like, what are you, are you getting all that here? No. So for the gin, uh, we, we haven't worked on what we're going to do, but we might not use gin, juniper. The beauty of gin is that gin is just vodka infused with herbs. You don't have to pick juniper. I mean, that's a common uh, really? herb that's used in it, but some don't use juniper, and those are actually my favorites. I'm not a huge juniper fan, so I'm hoping oh. we don't use it. But there's a team of us, and we'll come up with so what flavor profile we so all So what do you do instead? Of, you're doing like satsumas instead? Like you what can do, you do all kinds of stuff. Yeah, you can use any herb or uh, you know addition that will add flavor because that's all gin is, is just vodka infused with these herbs. So oh. we're, we're playing around with a lot of different things. So do y'all uh, taste it, or do you have, like, a, a group? Like, could could Ray and I come in and uh, be oh, yeah, guinea well, pigs? Of- you can always well, come we're, in we're and We're always eager to serve. But very honestly, like, to make decisions on what we're going to no. make, I think it'll be us. It's, yes. Uh, for the beer, it's the same thing. We don't always hit right, but if we don't, at least it's a beer we all like, so we're proud of it, whether it sells or not. <laughs> I, I don't really, I mean, you know, you make it, and if it sells, obviously you make more of it. But uh, if it doesn't sell, that doesn't bother me because we made a beer that we like. So, it's huh. yeah, well, I know. I mean, there's a lot of beers that people can only get in the tap room. They'll probably never get canned because I, I, I mean, I've heard, for example, that like other other local companies that do the strawberry beer mm-hmm. uses syrup, and you guys use like fresh strawberries, so you really right. can't. That doesn't have a long shelf life in a can, so, so you, you can only have it fresh, right? Most people either love fruit beers or hate them. Um, I actually do like them a lot, but. I like them to be fresh fruit and make a fresh puree and you add it to the beer and it is absolutely delicious. But as with any fruit, it will go bad in just a couple of weeks, just right. like fruit juices. So uh, to can it or package it, it doesn't work unless you're going to use either pasteurization or some sort of syrup. And we don't want to do either. All right. Well, it looks like it's time for your plus one. And we've already been sampling his food, so we know who this is. Yeah. Plus, so, he's wearing a T-shirt with his name on it, but <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Why don't you introduce him and tell us why? Because I know there's a good reason for having him. I will. So, so my guest is a spectacular uh, uh, chef and smoker, and not like you know tobacco or anything, but uh, a smoker of meats, which sounds just absolutely disgusting sometimes. Um, <laughs> anyhow, my guest is Neil McClure. Who is a fantastic Woo! chef. So, hey, Neil. Hey, y'all. Thanks Welcome. for having me. Aren't you glad Great I called you. you a smoker of meat? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of my many titles. I'll take it. <laughs> well, uh, Neil has brought along tonight a bunch of beautiful food, and I could not wait. Uh, Ray, while I'm talking about it, you should try things. Go ahead. I am Dig already, in yeah. because I could not wait. Everything looks so great. He's brought uh, some red beans and rice that was just delicious. And I noticed it had a little different um, flavor in it that I really like. And what, what kind of meat do you have in this, uh, these red beans and rice? 
Well, I started with bacon, of course, and then I add a little bit of my brisket today. Sometimes it's pulled pork. Sometimes it's the sausage left over. It depends on what's, you know, what big chunk of meat wasn't sold at the end of last night. <laughs> and I had a couple of pounds of brisket left over, so it made a perfect addition today. It's delicious. And the greens, what ha, uh, what's that, a side of greens on the menu? Indeed. They're my molasses stewed collard greens. Delicious. My favorite side. For sure. Describe the sauces that you brought, too. You brought a bunch of them. Oh, geez. When I first started doing my pop-up, I just had a lot of time on my hands since, you know, I get up in the middle of the night to start cooking all of this and couldn't decide on what style of sauce I wanted to represent my barbecue. Because for me, the barbecue was more about the smoked meats being done right rather than coating them in a sauce and trying to hide something. So... Long story short, I used every regional sauce that I could come up with, basically. So I have six different ones. I have a Kansas City style, which is molasses and tomato. I have a North Carolina style, which is made with apple cider vinegar and uh, apple juice and other flavors. I've got a South Carolina style that's mustard-based. Alabama, for one restaurant in particular there that does just a remarkable white sauce that's made with mayonnaise and horseradish. And vinegar. Now, Neil, it's I, so good on chicken, yeah. Kirk. You should try that. Neil, as, as a uh, as a Yankee, I didn't grow up with much barbecue, so I have an unrefined barbecue taste, you know, palate. But I absolutely love McClure's, and but a lot of you know, a lot of people do have very refined taste. Love McClure's. I've seen you, know? you in there just a yeah, few I mean, times, a lot. Mm-hmm. I think like three times this week. But um, <laughs> thank you. But but one thing that's always puzzled me is the way that uh, people uh, are just absolutely vicious about like. If they have, if they're sold out on one style of barbecue, they hate all other kinds of barbecue. Denigrate it, you know. So if you love that, like Alabama barbecue, you know, I actually have a really close friend who's a friend of yours as well. We were having some actually here for uh, dance practice, and he was singing the praises of Alabama. I said, "Yeah, that's great." And it's like, it's like, no, you don't understand. Every other kind of barbecue sucks. It's terrible. Uh, and you get that. You get Memphis people that don't like anything but Memphis barbecue. You can't see people only. So the nice thing uh-huh. about McClure's is, you, you know, you have. You do sauce really well, it seems, in a bunch of different genres. So you can you can please the Kansas City people and the Memphis people and the Carolina people all at once, right? Mostly. Those opinions are so strong that they a- they ask me about my barbecue while waiting to tell me about theirs more than anything. You must get lectured like all week long by a bunch of amateurs too, right? I mean, I know it's going to be a long talk when you start with, well, I'm from Texas. <laughs> I just, I mean, I don't think any other food genre... It stirs up that kind of passion like barbecue does. It's crazy. The passion behind it has been unreal. I've been in food my entire life from pizza to casual fine dining uh, to regular fine dining. And nobody has ever had as strong opinions about the cuisine being served as I've experienced with this. What do you think it is? Do you think it's... It's comfort food everybody's passionate about how their their pappy made it or the restaurant they grew up going to it may have the worst ribs on the planet but if (laughs) if that's the flavor you grew up with it's going to be hard to knock you off that horse Mm. so neil i want to know how you and kirk know each other wow uh well mainly because he likes to drink beer and talk to people (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's the advantage of drinking beer and talking your whole <laughs> life. Um, you meet a lot of cool people. Uh, do you, do you want to tell, is, can we tell the whole story? Can the we, whole story? I don't know. Come yeah. on. We want to bring up this Pensacola? Is... We got plenty of time. Oh, well, we could do that too, yeah. 
Um, I was just going to go back to the like, smoker thing. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, we already knew each other. By the I end. don't know that I want to talk about that aspect. Oh, oh don't say much. that. We're just don't say that because you know we'll uh, Let's just dig. I have had, uh, and this has been well documented in the newspaper <laughs> and whatnot, had several problems with my neighbors. They were not happy when I opened up. Even though for a year before opening, they knew a barbecue restaurant was going to open. But as soon as I started smoking, they freaked out and sued me. And I settled out of court and moved my smoker off my property to across the street. And then for some reason that was shut down as well uh, after some more complaining. I'm not exactly sure who that was, but... uh, At that point, I was kind of scrambling as to what I was going to do next. Uh, uh, I was real close to changing my concept. Uh, And Neil and I... Can't you just make like a taller chimney or something? (laughs) Tried that. Yeah, he had done that. Tried that. We even made a a homemade scrubber to scrub the smoke. And it, it, you know, it was, it's complicated. There are a lot more issues than just the smoker. My, they, they weren't big fans of my landlord and how he handled the whole me moving in thing. So... It's been it's been a difficult situation. Well, and Neil and I had known each other for some time, and and we were frequent customers to his restaurant. Uh, we used to have our managers, and we still have manager meetings over there. And all the guys making beer for him here have been yeah. big fans, and I've been friends with a lot of them for a long time. Yeah, we're all fans. And uh, and for me, the idea of being mad that you have a smoker in your neighborhood Bizarre. is like crazy. Because I live above a really loud bar in the French Quarter, yeah. which is like crazy loud. And the smells that come from it are really horrible. <laughs> so the concept of having something quiet that smells like grilled meat, <laughs> I was like, man, put it next to my house. I'll be happy. I know. So, yeah, like bottle that stuff. Like make potpourri out of that. So or I whatever. couldn't yeah, put it well, next to I'd my smell house. I stuff all day long. It's the best yeah. smell in the world. I'd make a million dollars selling that on the NASCAR circuit. (laughs) If there was a perfume that smelled like his barbecue, yeah, girls would want it because guys would be all over. I don't know. Ask my (laughs) wife about that. (laughs) Since everything in my house now smells like the smoke embedded in my hair and my skin, (laughs) my wife might disagree with that. So anyway, it was right before Mardi Gras and his, uh, all of a sudden he was forced to like eliminate his smoker, like right as the busiest season rolled along. And, uh, and we knew him, and, and we loved his food, and said, hey, we've got this big industrial property, and you know we have extra space. You want to smoke over here? And, uh, and he was able to do it and, and brought his stuff over here. And then while, when he did that, we were just contemplating this build-out on a new tap room, and we were like, hey, Neil, would you be interested? We thought we'd have to hire like some like kind of you know just guy to grill hot wings or something we had no idea <laughs> for food at all we just knew we wanted food and we're like neil would would you want to come run the food over here and he was like so it would be like my restaurant right and then and we said yeah you'll you'll lease the space and do the food and we'll just sell beer out of the bar and and he thought it was a great idea oh i think and, it's a great idea and barbecue and beer please so there were only two requirements um one that he had to keep his smoker here because we kind of fell in love with having it here and occasionally there's extra meat that we get to eat for lunch which is really <laughs> awesome because um, we make our lunches here every day the whole team so it's kind of fun um, and then the, the other requirement was that he would make poutine, so which is this <laughs> thing I got hooked on when I went up to Canada, to Toronto last summer. Gravy and, fries. And he is a gravy, gravy fries. But with cheese, cheese curds. curds. So it's like the cheese curd makes the poutine. It's very important. 
and he's already working on some amazing poutine recipes. Cool. They've been pretty good. Now, so now are you moving here or are you just a second I'm, location? A uh, second location. Okay, okay. We're going to smoke the meats here. And You'll smoke the meats here and then, and then, and then bring them over to the other place. Supply both places oh, so there. Best of both worlds so you can keep it, keep it going. Oh, Eventually great. it was going to be a food truck or something because running the smoker all the time as we do seven days a week, um, sometimes it's not completely full and it'd be nice to have more of more capacity used. So does it ever go off the smoker? Is it, is it on all night? No, uh, it gets six or seven hours of rest a day. Okay. Sometimes. Because we talked to no. one barbecue guy who sleeps in his kitchen because he's got to feed it every 45 minutes. So That's what I do. Wow. I, I've been sleeping in my van next to the pit here <laughs> uh, un, until I have a proper lazy boy in the sour room, I guess, or something. <laughs> I could probably set you up in a nicer room in the sour room. <laughs> I don't actually sleep very well. That only happens when I have to do the... He wants to be in the sour room so he can pull nails all night. <laughs> What happened to the barrels of beer? They look like that horror movie with the dude with the nails all in his face. Hellraiser barrels. Sorry, no lower line this week. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's there's a lot so, of hours I mean, does involved. Every barbecue guy in the country sleep in the in, oh no, in his no smoking room. Ninety eight percent of them probably are doing all right, them. But so far, we're in a southern pride. In the in no. the what? Are are cooking their stuff in a, uh, an automatic smoker, which is more like an oven than it is a smoker. Why can't you get an automatic smoker? Because I'm a stick better? burner. I burn firewood. I burn pecan and apple. So you, have you can't make an automatic wood. one that does that? I could, they but the smoke wood? would be more... Uh, they tend to use chunks or pellets, and the smoke burns really quickly and more more acidically. It's just not as good a flavor can't you hire like a guy for like nine dollars an hour to throw the smoke in so you can get a good night's sleep once in a while i i do do that i'm okay. not the guy oh, i'm not there seven days a week anymore that first year yes it was a little intense but i've uh i'm realizing how old i'm getting i mean that's something you can train somebody for maybe they can't make the meat or whatever but they can put wood in a stove right I mean, absolutely I, I mean i think i could do that i know I, i've got a good team behind me and they're helping me Keep right. this operation up seven days. Well, we did recently close Tuesday. In fact, I got a I got a son who just turned sixteen today, and he doesn't have a job this summer. If you need somebody to go there, and you know, we, we we're trying to keep him employed and busy all summer and tired would be great too. He could come, you <laughs> know, up all night and <laughs> sleeping party. during the day because you're he, not going to party while you're doing this. He's not going to party in your place, right? Well, I guess he could. Oh, geez. Oh. Yeah. When it I had keys to a restaurant when I was 16. <laughs> throw that out. out there. I'm pretty sure we can't have your 16-year-old working here on the brewery ground. Oh, it's New Orleans. Oh, well, yeah. There are a lot of state <laughs> the Landry rules era, that we would never yeah. violate, Troy Bear. <laughs> we love you, Troy. I wish it was as easy as just throwing a little bit of firewood on every now and then, but the fire is tricky. And in our climate and with the style that I do, it does require constant maintenance. I like to try and get some naps sometimes during the evenings, but when you're having high humidity, a big rainstorm, or it's 25 degrees outside like it is every now and then in the winter here, it's just constant yeah. monitoring. It sounds like a thing like when you're brewing the beer, um, making the sour uh, beer and stuff, the elements and things factor in to ha the product. So you have to be vigilant about wh what you're doing and it's not just a like i mean we had a baker once we had a, it's we had not a baking couple on it's the show not that once, easy and they yeah. argued 
about one thought humidity did one thing and the other thought humidity did the opposite. And they're, they're in the same business and they're both bakers in the same bakery. So obviously it's not a science, right? There's a lot of, lot of art to it. There and is. So there's, there is. It, it, there's got to be a lot of subjectivity. And it's just you kind of doing it by nose or whatever and figuring out how to, how to play with these factors, right? I, good point. Uh, the temperature control thing is, for me, is mostly by smell. When I walk up and I, I, I can smell when the pit is too hot or I can sometimes hear it uh, because the meat sizzling a lot more and things like that. Wow. When it's lower, I know it immediately as well. It's got a whole different smell. And um, I think that that's uh, something that's inherent in these more small craft products that are developed locally is that yes. the, that's the point. The hand care that's put into it, you really do like, I mean, for our brew house, I mean, we sample, it's, it's not alcohol, it's just sugar during the brew process, but you can tell where the beer is going to be by sampling just this sugar water, basically, that's being produced, and you can kind of adjust and make, make tweaks to it, but... Also, when it comes to that, there are going to be days where his brisket's going to taste different because it was 25 degrees and 0% humidity than a 104-degree, 100% humidity day. And you just got to rely on the fact that taking into account all those conditions, he's going to make a great product every time anyhow. And it's the same thing with beer. You know, um, our packaged beers, were really good at getting kind of standardized and they have more temperature control. But for these aged beers or, or barrel aged beers or sours because of the process that's used it's going to be different each time and so you just got to rely that that our team is sampling these things and making sure that they taste great before they go out and we sometimes don't release beer now you know we'll either dump it if it's really not tasting right or if it's you know pretty good but not great well then the guys get to bring home a few bottles of beer right <laughs> <laughs> but um we don't release anything unless we think it's perfect going out so i've had to do important. the same thing with briskets yeah. mm. you know they come out they're overcooked i'm not going to sell it it's just mm. which means lunch for the brewery <laughs> <laughs> it means the red beans are even better tomorrow yeah <laughs> well margo i think we have to pause for just a moment to thank our sponsors of tonight's show um Thank you tonight to NOLA Brewing Taproom, uh, the watering hole of NOLA Brewing Company on Chapatula Street. Do we really need to do a sponsorship? Yeah. The whole show is one. What are we doing here? Yay. Okay, well, now we can get another one. Uh, on Chapatula Street and Irish Channel, where you can get all of NOLA Brewing's beers plus another eight specialty beers you can't get anywhere else. And let me tell you about our friends at Petite Pet Care. While you're at work or on vacation or out uh, drinking a nice beer and having some barbecue, you don't have to board your pet. He can stay in the comfort of his own home. For loving care when you're not there, Petite Pet Care. Find them at PetitePetCare.com. All right. Um, I also wanted to, I want to go back a little bit and uh, know what y'all were doing before you got into this. Now, Kirk, I uh, read a little bit. And it, it was kind of surprising. Yes. What I have a was checkered your, past. Yes. What was your... No, actually, you have a remarkably uncheckered past. <laughs> yes. That's the part that's surprising. <laughs> you have a checkered present. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what uh, were you doing a, a, a few years before you um, started well, Nola Brewery? Well, I was born a poor black man. <laughs> in rural Mississippi. Now, uh, I... I 
I started, uh, I, I went to college and law school and got out and practiced law for a very short amount of time and realized that uh, that was not for me. If you, you kind of have met me a few times, y'all know my personality. Shocking, can you imagine yes. me in a courtroom? It's like, well, we I can. Mean, I would be in jail just, you know, <laughs> on daily occasions. Contempt of court would be my name. Um, so uh, I, I had always wanted to be in the military and decided that I would try to see if I could get in the military. Um, I was. 28, you know, out of law school, lawyers have a tendency to eat a lot and drink even more, um, which might have helped the career now. You know? <laughs> uh, as they say, a, a lawyer passed a bar once. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I weighed 240 pounds and I walked into a Navy recruiting station with a leather bound resume and an Armani suit and said, I want to be the skipper of a destroyer. <laughs> <laughs> and the recruiter went, yeah, this never happens. And said, are you sure you're in the right place? And he tried to get me to be a, a lawyer in the Navy, a JAG officer. But uh, I, I decided that, uh, that I wanted to be the skipper of a destroyer. So I was a surface warfare officer for 11 years and would have done 20. But Katrina hit New Orleans and I felt like I had to come home. And I came, came home after 11 years in the Navy and... Had no idea what I was going to do. And then uh, um, through a complete freak circumstance, ended up starting a brewery. Oh, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm in shock. I'm Me kind too. Of, um, Insane. What, what, what does that mean, a surface warfare? So uh, it's, we are the officers who run ships that are on the water. So you either have pilots, right, which fly planes, right. which I certainly wasn't going to do. Submarines uh, are underwater. Submarine officers, subsurface officers. Uh, I would, as a, as a surface warfare officer or a traditional sailor, we kind of look at those submariners as crazy people. Because <laughs> who would get on a ship that intentionally sinks? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. So we just stay on the water. We fire a lot of missiles and guns and you know, carry safe goods to people. So, so what rank did you end up at? Uh, I got out as an 04, which is a lieutenant commander, and the <laughs> Navy was paying for 04s to get out uh, right after Katrina. So I told my commanding officer I, would, I was getting out, and then he came back to me and said, well, if you're getting out anyhow, they have this program where the Navy will pay you to get you out. Huh. So I went, I'll take that, <laughs> and, uh, and got paid money to come move back here to New Orleans. Post-Katrina... <laughs> The Wild West of New Orleans, which was uh, quite an adventure. You were probably in more danger here than you were <laughs> on a boat in the U.S. Navy. Yeah, yeah there's a um, good chance. Did, so you never, you never saw any like action, right? Did you see combat um, ever? Uh, I did. Uh, what? No, nothing like, I mean, I wasn't like on the ground carrying a rifle or anything, so not like any of my Marine Corps friends. But uh, we were in a couple of... Uh, you know, shoot situations. And we... Tell us about during that. During the second Gulf War... Um, let me make sure I'm not doing anything that I'm going to get arrested for. <laughs> no, please um, do. We were we, in, the, we were in the Gulf the during show. the second Gulf War, and I was uh, on a ship that fired missiles into the war. Uh, and I'll just leave it at that. Were but, you in uh, the Persian Gulf? Or you like I was. It? I was in the Arabian Gulf most of my career. So I spent a lot of time there. I was in, One of my jobs was I was a tactical action officer. So I ran boardings that went on two ships to search them for contraband or weapons or anything like that. Um, and then I was a combat officer on a guided missile cruiser. 
So it was responsible for, you know, weapon systems and, and tracking incoming uh, air contacts and surface yeah. contacts. So. That's got to be so stressful. I mean, you know, it was a boat that got sunk that really started the first Gulf War in a way, right? It was when, that, when Hussein was still our ally. They sent that plane. What was the name of that? You know what I'm talking about? They basically sunk, they basically sunk a U.S. naval ship our ally, and then he got away with it. And then he said he was dead, and he, then we turned up a few years later. He's a big hero in Iraq. And, and then and that's, what, that's what turned sides and all that stuff. It started out in the Persian Gulf, in other words, with a Navy ship is what I'm saying. Uh, and that's where you were. Not totally, but kind of. Yes, there, there, there was a Navy <laughs> ship that was hit, but it was, a, it was actually a boat that hit it. Um, it was attacked by by a small boat. That I thought it was a plane that hit it. No? Coal. No. Yeah, the coal. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, no, no. I'm not talking about the coal. Before the coal. Long before the coal. You're talking like, first Desert War. 1988. Three years before the, desert, before the first Desert War. When Iran and Iraq were still hot with each other, where they, they hadn't stopped fighting yet. Oh, dang it. I wish I could remember this. I knew this a few weeks ago. <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll put this on the webpage, too. Okay. No, no. There was a plane that actually, and they, and they warned it. They said, turn back. What are you doing? And he let off a missile, and it killed like 80 sailors. Okay, okay, okay. Let's, uh... <laughs> I'm sure our listeners are riveted by this story. That's an amazing I'm story. I'm sure they are, too. Okay, but anyway, so you were, in, and you can't, you can't wanna... get out in the Persian Gulf either. You got the little Strait of Hormuz, and it's the like. The Strait really... of Hormuz is a, an issue right now. If, you, yeah. if you've watched the news lately, um, President Obama and Iran are in a little bit of a. Uh, argument over the Straits of Hormuz. Um, Iran has always claimed that they own that strait and that they can control who goes in and out of it. We have always claimed that it's international waters because it's the only method of ingress and egress from the Arabian like Bahrain, Gulf. Qatar, you, you, yeah. Yeah, so, and I, I think you called it Persian Gulf earlier, yeah. just kind of a, an aside. Right. Persia. Uh, the United States Navy and government calls it the Arabian Gulf. Ah. Persia being Iran, right, and if right. you call it the Persian Gulf, then it Justifies Iran saying that it's their goal. Well, our, listeners, <laughs> our listeners know I'm. I'm. I'm uh, I've always been pro-Iranian all along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Grant's not sure if he should laugh or not. So, so, so just send all your hate mail. <laughs> yeah. Straight I'm to Ray. Pro-Iranian yeah. and Iraqi people who are both amazing yeah, people. Sure. If you get over to to Arabia, um, either. Persia or Iraq or Saudi Arabia, anywhere in the Middle East, the people are amazing people. Um, it's sometimes, and uh, you know, I'm sure people say that about all governments, but governments do not always reflect what the people feel. And uh, the people over there are very kind, gentle, and loving people when you meet them and get to know them. So uh, I, I've had great relationships with people over there, and I think they're amazing. Government's not always so great. So you need a Persian sour. That's your next sour. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm sure let's drive a, another wedge into that already difficult part of the world. Um, so anyway, I got back to New Orleans and Come on, uh, take sides. And decided uh, that that I needed to start a business, but I didn't know what I was going to do. So I had a business plan to start, and this sounds so silly now, but a preserve company which I thought, like, because Crystal Hot Sauce and Preserves had left, and so I thought it would be a good idea to do preserves. That's pretty easy. You can do it. I've seen my grandparents do it. Um, but, in fact, uh, that business plan ended up turning into a brewery plan uh, when I was drinking Dixie one night. Uh, it was actually at a little bar called the Mayfair. Yeah. Miss love Gertie. the Mayfair right near the Have you ever met Miss Gertie? Yeah. She's great. Miss Gertie owns it. Oh, love it. it. Yep. She's awesome. Just great old lady. Yep. owns a bar. When I first met her, I was in the Navy, 
And uh, I walked in and she goes, oh, sailor boy, how you doing? And I said, I'm doing great. How are you? She goes, my name's Gertie and my husband used to be in the Navy. And I said, oh, that's great. And she goes, well, my husband only gave me two things in life. And I said, Miss Gertie, what are those two things? And she said, well, one was this bar. And I that's said, a good one. oh, that's a really good bar. And she goes, the other was the clap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure it was a joke. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but I love that story. <laughs> Anyhow, so there you go. If the other word couldn't be censored, I'm sure we're in trouble now. <laughs> so I was there and I was drinking a Dixie beer which is the local beer. Since I was a little kid, it's what we drank, uh, crawfish boils, anything. And I read on the label, brewed and bottled in Wisconsin. And it just really got me mad. It was just right after Katrina. um, And the idea that the one brewery that we had wasn't brewing beer here anymore really bothered me. And so the idea in my head was somebody needs to start a brewery. But it wasn't I should start a brewery because I knew nothing about beer. But I had a great friend, Byron, who... uh, was a really good home brewer and so I said Byron you need to open a brewery and he said I'll do it if you help me do it and I was like all right let's do it and then his wife heard about the idea <laughs> and it quickly became Kirk get away from our house don't talk to my <laughs> husband anymore restraining order so he ended up putting me in touch with the brewmaster that we have now Peter Cadu who was a brewmaster at Dixie um, wow, and he's amazing and, oh. and really great uh, brewer and the two of us started it, and it's grown to 23 people. And as soon as the new taproom opens, it's probably closer to 30. So. And way, way more ambitious in terms of variety and, and depth and all that than Dixie ever was. Dixie was a great institution, of course, forever. But, I mean, you're Dixie doing, at you're the doing end, way more creative things than Dixie was ever doing. It was a different time, yeah. first off. But Dixie at the end was trying. And, uh, you know, Black and Voodoo was certainly one of those yeah. beers that they spun off. And, uh, and they had one called, uh, I guess, like a white chocolate mousse beer. There were a few wow. that they had uh, that they were really trying to push the limits, but it came a little too late, and uh, and unfortunately they weren't able to get profitable in time. Okay. It was a big building; you need a lot of money to support it. Yes. Um, I want to get to Neil's. Um, I want to hear a little bit about your background, but first we have to we go to this part of the show called Off the Menu, where we ask y'all a uh, question that you would not be asked in any. Um, reputable job interview or you know anything slightly professional or um well which we've obviously so. <laughs> exceeded tonight <laughs> already yes we've done enough professionalism tonight <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay so um neil i will ask you i i ha- i gotten two questions from my uh eight-year-old so and this is perfect for this evening, right. but I'm going to ask you um, if you were uh, taking your last breath, you were dying, and you took your last breath, and you, on your last breath, you woke up and you were eight years old. What would you do? Wow. Ah. Uh. That's uh, not a question I was expecting. <laughs> Sorry. You can blame the eight-year-old in my house. I don't... Oh, wow. Uh, give me just a moment to think about that. Okay. 
Ooh, can I go? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would have worn more sunscreen. <laughs> I would. Ki- like I've been waiting. For yeah, I know. <laughs> I've, I've been regretting my eight-year-old decisions for years now. <laughs> I would kiss Maria Bertucci. If you were out there, Maria, I would have kissed you at eight years old. It was and a bad would- decision not to do that. And that would have changed your whole I haven't seen Maria Bertucci in probably, yeah, 40 years. (laughs) (laughs) She's working at the Mayfair. Yeah, maybe so. (laughs) Maybe I have kissed Maria Bertucci (laughs) since then. Don't remember. Yeah, yeah, should we uh, ask her to come on here? No, I have on Facebook. (laughs) See, my eight-year-old crush had a very uh, bland Norwegian name, but like Maria Bertucci, there's not going to be too many of those. If you Facebook her, you'll find her. Probably so. Maybe we'll just leave it at the dream. <laughs> well, I don't think he meant what would I do at eight years old. What I took it as is he meant uh, what would what I would set you, up for? What would you do differently? I mean, he is eight, and, and I'm I think not I've very got articulate. An okay. I don't think I'd change much. Really? I kind of like where I'm at right now. From eight now. years old to now, you would not. I mean, there certainly there are circumstances that I would have liked to have turned out different along the way, but no it's choices all gotten... you would make different. Uh, that, no, because I, again, I like where I'm at now. I've got a great wife. I've got two great boys. I'm doing what I love, uh, which is cooking barbecue and serving good food to people. And uh, I'm pretty happy. Beautiful. I wouldn't want to change too much. I, I don't need a lot of wealth or anything else. I just, I'm a simple man. <laughs> He found her. So I am now looking at a picture of Maria Bertucci. Holy (laughs) man. It appears that she's been married. Uh, Her daughter looks beautiful, but I'm trying to find a picture. (laughs) No, I'm just saying because that's the picture. That's the no. She's not. She's like, look at her. She's like twenty. She's like sixteen. Is that what she looked like? That's that's high school graduation. She's an adult. Anyhow, it looks like her, her, you know, what I would have pictured her to grow up to. So I am sure that she is beautiful too, except that she has her daughter on her profile picture, so I can't tell. <laughs> By the way, a Maria, huge, if you're listening, a huge pet peeve of mine to anybody listening, do not put your kids' pictures on your profile <laughs> picture. That is not you. That is your, like, offspring. Let that them have their own Facebook exactly. picture. Put them in your photos. But when I go to, like, people friend me and they'll be like, whatever, Joe Smith. And there's a picture of an eight-year-old girl. Well, I am not going to accept that friendship because I don't believe that's Joe Smith. And uh, then people get mad. Well, why would you turn down my friendship? Because it was a picture of like a dog or two kids that were under five. Yeah. I'm sorry. And there's a crime, channel. That, know there's a crime channel on cable that focuses on that, that's too. That's true, yeah. you know, so you got to stay away from that. And it says people are living through their dogs or their children. Right. I you mean, should be yourself. At all, least your profile pic should be all, yourself. All my photos are of meat. What does that say? <laughs> You're living through your meat. Your meat represents you. I think that's but he actually that's acceptable. Has a, I'm going to literally photorealistic him made out of meat, out of smoked meat. <laughs> really? It's amazing. Can yeah. you tell us him? Oh, it looks just like him. I mean, <laughs> You keep you keep living in the smoke room. You're gonna look like uh, you're gonna look like it too. You look like I, some I, blackened I sw- brisket. When they have my autopsy, whenever I do die, I will have a very nice smoke ring on these arms. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Neil, I want to hear about uh, what you were doing before you started McClure's. I have been doing restaurants since my mother opened a place in Pensacola when I was thirteen, twelve. Somewhere in there. 
What kind of place? It was called Beignets Cafe. It was Cajun, Creole, and French. Uh, we had a nice brunch, and we had really that's, nice that's dinner. Kind of, and That's kind of interesting because Margot's part owner of a place called Cafe Beignet. And yours is Beignet's <laughs> Kitchen. That's interesting. All right. But, is that true? Not really interesting, but go ahead. I, I found it interesting. <laughs> we had always had a love affair with New Orleans, lived over here a little bit when I was a very young child before moving back to Florida. Uh and mom was obsessed with the food over here more than anything, that and antiques. Um, and she's always been a wonderful cook, and that led to her uh, doing the restaurant, which did well for a couple years. They weren't really restaurant people, so they didn't know how to make it last for the long haul, but it was fun while it lasted, and it gave me a taste of being in the industry, and I've kind of done it my entire life since then, all through high school, all through college. No. So did you go to culinary school too? Or you just I did not. Straight into restaurants. Straight into restaurants. Uh, cooked a little bit. Waited tables. Delivered pizzas. Uh, what are some of the places you worked at in New Orleans? Uh, Figaro's for a very oh, long yeah. time oh, when it first opened. Yep. Yeah, when it first opened, and we would have an hour and a half long wait list of people wanting breadsticks. I'll, I'll never understand that. Uh, then I actually <laughs> moved away for a little while after that, after five years of doing that through college and whatnot, went up to Oregon and did more food up there in Portland and came back right after, uh, nine 11 cause we wanted to be home and near our families. Uh, and I worked for about a year at commanders like everybody in this industry does <laughs> at some point. And I actually did it intentionally. I was like, I haven't done the Brennan's thing. I need to. And I learned a lot and left there and went and worked for my friends Lee and E-Man at Dante's Kitchen for oh, a decade. Oh, that place, yeah. Uh, had E-Man on the show, wonderful. Loved it. Uh, still love it. I, I miss the food over there nightly, although I'm sure my uh, heart is probably doing a little better not eating <laughs> foie gras as often as I did there, duck liver mousse. So what did you do at uh, Dante's Kitchen? Uh, cooked just a little bit, but was a general manager there for a long time. Excellent. And uh, did was that your last job before you started your own business? Indeed. Uh, the business started well before I actually left Dante's. Uh, around the time Katrina hit, we were evacuated and we were in Pensacola, and I ended up joining my uncle, who was a Pensacola police officer, to come to Mississippi in uh, Gulfport and feed all of the law enforcement responding to the storm for a month. Wow. And he has a giant barbecue rig, and that's what we did. We barbecued for a month on the beach. Uh, I think we served more uh, ladybugs than anything during that whole span. <laughs> they were really flying. I don't, it was weird. Um, fell in love with watching the fire. Uh, the peace of it, the zen of it, uh, it just really struck me. I had done it a little bit as a kid. We did whole pig roasts growing up. Uh, had always kind of been obsessed with barbecue ribs and whatnot. Came back from Katrina. We got power back at the restaurant in November and immediately opened, and that's all I did for seven days a week for a year and a half before I looked up and was like, oh, geez, what's going on? <laughs> the city, everybody's back. Um, eventually, uh, looked at chef and said, Hey, I want to try doing barbecue for a living. Had been practicing it in the backyard for a while. Oh, because I discovered, uh, Pete's brisket out at the joint. Oh, 
Oh. I had never been a brisket fan. Uh, I don't think I had ever had very good brisket. And his stuff is phenomenal, and I loved it and got really, really uh, obsessed, was going out there two or three times a week and eating my weight in barbecue. The wife was getting a little worried, and then I bought my own pit and started trying to tackle the brisket thing. Had already kind of learned how to make the other things throughout the years, ribs, chicken, pulled pork. Uh, And once I felt like I was honing in on the brisket, I approached my chef, Eman, about doing a pop-up one night a week when we were closed on Tuesdays. And he was like, sure. And it was right around the time he started doing noodle and pie as a pop-up over at Cooley. Yeah. And 80 people showed up on my first night and paid me money to eat my barbecue and still told me it was really good. And yeah. I was like, okay, maybe I should do this. And kept tr- kept plugging, eventually start- took over his lunch period, which was closed during during the day. And it was pretty successful And that led me to where I'm at now, uh, brick and mortar space. And how'd you find that space? Uh, it through a friend, a friend of a friend said, Hey, the vet kind of wants to move into his other building. Go talk to him. He was like, he made it sound very easy. And it, you know, essentially it it was kind of easy to get it switched from a vet office to a restaurant, although that <laughs> reputation has never really left me. <laughs> hey, are you cooking them dogs? <laughs> we are not Korean barbecue. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it, but that's not what we do. Now, uh, Kirk, when is when is uh, McClure's going to be opening here? Um, we're planning a grand opening for the tap room on the 12th. So What? That's the June, new tap June room. June 12th. June 12th. So next. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. So uh, it soon. We're, we're having an informal actual dinner lab this Friday, and the, the mayor's speaking there. So Wait, the mayor's going to be here? Yeah, at the, at the new taproom next door. So, um, so you'll move the taproom next door, and then McClure's will take over your old taproom space. No, McClure's will take over the food in the new taproom. There's a kitchen oh, being there's built a kitchen. out in there, too. So what's going to happen the old taproom space? Uh, that'll just be for private events. If you'd oh. like to rent a space uh, to have your party. Or fun function, or whatever you want—a a space with TVs and beer in—then it's yours. And uh, and we'll do catering. Uh, Neil will be doing catering as well for events there. Uh, I do want to say something though. If you look across the table at us, uh, we are not like two eighteen-year-old entrepreneurs, you know. New. Um, I, a lot I, of gray over I, here. <laughs> I hear a lot of people who are like even in their thirties, and they're like, "Oh, well, you know, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I'm getting too old." You're not too old. You can be a 60 or a 70 year old entrepreneur. I mean, I'm 47. Neil's what, 26? Uh, <laughs> Please. You know, well, out of college. Uh, <laughs> Neil might be a little older than 26. Uh, but we, uh, you know, nothing, all your life experience leads you to becoming a, a skilled person in life. And uh, everything that you do gives you a little bit more education. So you don't have to have like this entrepreneur line from the time you're 18 to start a business you could have been worked for a corporation been a you know stay-at-home mother which is probably the hardest job available anyhow Um, and any of those skill sets that you have that taught you how to manage time and manage logistics and you know Mm. get ingredients and make stuff when you're cooking at home this this is a high school uh, commencement uh, speech right here you got it no it's just (laughs) important because i i hear from entrepreneurs all the time and they always want to you know oh if you haven't done it by the time you're 25 you can't do it because i think there's Uh, this tech industry belief that you have to be an entrepreneur very young you don't 
Okay, so any listeners right now that that uh, are thinking of entrepreneurship, come to the tap room, have a few beers, and then and ask, then magically uh, your idea will come to you. It happened yeah. to me. Yeah. It happened to him over yeah. beers. So come here, and if not, just ask Kirk for some ideas. Unfortunately, we are out of time completely. I think we're way over. So. Uh, we're going to have to wrap up, Margo. I hate this. I, I would love to talk about this all night. But, well, there's um, lots of stuff you get to cut out because we were horrible. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we don't have the budget bit. for editing and all that. It's all in here, and we're happy about it. Yeah, in fact, we I think we have solved the Gulf uh, crisis, actually. this may I, be, I feel like yeah. we did, too. Yeah, I think <laughs> I do. Persian sour. Yeah, exactly. Persian, Persian sour, sour will sour. do it. Okay. Well, uh, our special guest tonight on Midnight Menu Plus One was the great Kirk Coco, and his plus one was Neil McClure. You can find out more about both of our guests and much more by following the links on our website, itsneworleans.com. And thanks to Petite Pet Care, Hangover Destroyer, and the NOLA Brewing Tap Room for the awesome beer this evening and, and environment. Yep, the NOLA Brewing Tap Room once again is open seven days a week, every day. You can come here anytime. Or you can join us back here next week for another Midnight Menu Plus One. Thanks, Kirk. And thank you, Neil. And uh, Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.